0: For me, a number of years ago, God started a journey with me where I spent a year with a particular mentor of mine, and there was only two questions on the table for that year, and that was, what does the Bible really say about church, and what does it mean to be a disciple? might interest you to know he's actually an XY Whammer himself, (laughs) so he has that incredible um, radical discipleship nature about him, but... We, as we looked at that, we, you can't do that without looking at Jesus' ministry. And as we worked through that year and as we looked at Jesus' ministry, I was completely convicted by the amount of time that Jesus actually spent outside of the church, the amount of time that he spent walking amongst people and ministering to them. And I was deeply convicted that I was living in a holy huddle. I had been in church most of my life, at this particular point in my journey, I was in church all day Sunday, I was at church a couple of nights a week with different classes and courses, I was involved in a small group of young adults and I was enrolled in Bible college preparing to become a pastor and God broke into my life and went, you're missing the point point." and he did that through a man by the name of Arthur. Arthur was actually a client of mine. I, too, am an accountant and software consultant by trade. And I got a call to go and do a job one day. And um, so I drove out to the place, and what I discovered when I got there was a very broken man. He was in the middle of going through a very, very messy separation from his partner, and literally the day before, she'd cleared him out. She had locked him out of all of his banking, all of the business records, all that kind of thing. And I walked right into the mess of it all. Um, And this guy, if you've worked in the trades at all, a lot of people will know that of all of the trades, concreters generally are the roughest and toughest. They play hard, they work hard, (coughs) they party hard. And to boot, this guy was a trophy hunter. So it was quite an interesting experience when I got to the house and there was literally about 40 sets of eyes peering at me through buffalo heads and deer heads and all sorts of lovely things. But anyway, what began to happen is I walked into this mess, if you will, um, and began to just get alongside this guy and help him sort out what needed to be sorted out. and He'd been described to me as a rough diamond, and I started to see that. I started to see that he was actually incredibly generous. He was actually very kind, very loyal, very faithful. But he had this incredibly rough exterior of being a concreter and a hunter. And over the following couple of years, we developed a friendship, um, a professional working relationship and a and friendship. He was probably about in his mid 50s at the time. And a couple of years down the track, he contracted, I think it was pancreatic cancer. And he fought that for a number of years, probably two. Um, and then it went to his bones. And the last time I saw him, um, he was just a skeleton of the man that I knew. And I will never forget the day of his funeral. It was the first time in my life I'd sat in the funeral of somebody that wasn't bound for heaven, to the best of my knowledge, anyway. And it was cold, and it was empty, and it was literally hopeless. And I was meant to go back to work after the funeral, but I, I couldn't, couldn't contain myself. I remember leaving. It was at the racetrack in Warrigal, And I drove down to the Civic Centre, and I sat, and I wept, and I wept, and I wept. And I couldn't really tell you why, actually. I just knew that there was a pain inside me. And in that moment, God spoke to me really deeply. And he said, today is the day that hell became real for you. Because for the first time in my life, somebody that I loved wasn't going to heaven. There was actually an alternative. And in that moment, he started to break my heart for people that don't know Jesus. And I hadn't, I hadn't experienced that before. And so that started a very deliberate move in my life to try and move out of the church a bit more. And so I actually ended up quitting Bible college and I started to make moves to connect with people that were outside the church. God led me to a single mum that had um, four teenagers and the youngest was 18 months old when their father had passed away. And I spent a couple of years with that family, just getting alongside the kids, getting alongside the mum. Every time she'd need a break, I'd go and stay with the kids for... A weekend or, or whatever that might be, and just really felt like God had connected me with those guys. A little bit further down the track, as some of you know, we ran a sleep out last year, a little a group of friends, people that I'd met that had the same heart, that had the same compassion um, for people that are lost and broken, even though they weren't Christians. Um, but I really felt like God was saying to me, this is, this is part of what I want you to do, I want you to get alongside these people, and I want you to show them my heart. And so we did that, but in all of that, I was on my own. Some of you know that I come from, my background has come from a mega church, so I would go to church on Sunday, I would be in the service, I would serve, and then I would go home. Um, And I did that for nine years. There was never really any sense of community or or people around me, Um, and certainly not anybody that had the same heart that I had in terms of wanting to um, reach out to lost and to broken people. And then almost two years ago, I came here and I felt like God just went, great big neon lights, this is home. And as I started to find out a bit more about Catalyst and the heart behind Catalyst and the heart behind all of you here, um, I was incredibly blessed and encouraged that God was doing something different, that there was a body of people that genuinely cared and wanted to make a difference. And then particularly over the last three months, I feel like God is stirring us in a perhaps a a new way or a different way as a community. I feel like there's more of a discontentment that's brewing um, amongst us. I certainly know in our small group, in our Activate group, that we've been sensing it. Um, The last few months, we've had some extraordinary times. I don't know if anybody's seen the movie Furious Love. Has anybody seen Furious Love? Okay, we need to do that one Sunday night. (laughs) It's an incredible movie about the love of God um, and the unconditional nature and power of the love of God. And, you know, we just found ourselves literally weeping and on our knees and crying out to God that we don't want to be the same as what we were before that moment. So there's been lots lots that has been going on. Lots of good conversations. There's the clicker. Um, And so those conversations, as as we've been talking about this question of what does it mean to really love people where they are, it's caused me to to ask this next question as well. Maybe that one? There we go. I don't know about you, but week by week, I look at our logo, I look at our banners, and we have this tagline attached to it, a revolution of love. And I wonder if you've actually stopped and asked yourself the question, what does it look like to be a revolution of love? And it's a question that's been nagging at me for probably about the last three months, sometimes off and on before that, but really the last three months I've been asking God, what does that actually look like? And so I decided that I would um, share with you some of that journey this morning. So I started by literally going back to what is a revolution? A lot of people don't talk about revolution, certainly not in Australia. I don't mind a bit of history. I actually did revolutions as a subject in high school, back in the day, Um, and so I learnt a little bit about them. has this definition, a forcible overthrow of a government or social order in favour of a new system. From a sociology point of view, it's a radical and perversive change in society and the social structure, especially one made suddenly and often accompanied by violence. So if we're talking about a revolution of love, if we're talking about radical change, then the best person I think to talk about when talking about revolution is Jesus, because Jesus was that radical revolutionary. When he came, he overthrew a system of laws and he replaced it with one command, essentially to love. He replaced rules and regulations with relationship. And funnily enough, Judith, the same passage (laughs) from Matthew 22. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the Lord, Jesus said? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang off these two commands. So he is talking about our relationship with God and then the relationship with the people around us. And a little bit further on, specifically when he was talking to the disciples, talking about the relationship between us as brothers and sisters, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. Then by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. And so we start to see that Jesus brings in this radical shift away from the laws of Moses, away from all of the Jewish laws that have then been stacked on top of that. And he says, it's all encapsulated in this one thing. I want you to love. I was reading an article this week, um, and I really liked how the author described uh, Jesus. And he said this, Though Jesus refrained from armed political opposition to Roman authority, he was indeed a revolutionary in another sense. He proclaimed the kingdom of God, hailing God alone as the one true king. Over heaven and earth, he called his followers as citizens of God's kingdom to live in a radically different way on earth. Rather than hating their enemies, they were to love them. Rather than seeking revenge, the disciples of Jesus were to turn the other cheek. No ordinary revolutionary would say things like this. But Jesus was advancing a deeper and more pervasive revolution the overthrow of the kingdom of the evil one and the victory of the kingdom of God. And so I started to ask myself, what then are the characteristics of a revolutionary? What does that look like? Has anybody got any ideas? What the characteristics of a revolutionary are? Boldness, yep. Passionate, absolutely. Absolutely. Changing what's normal, that's exactly right. Looking for a new norm. Any other ideas? Determined? Yes. Focused? Courageous? Fearless? Absolutely. This was the list that I came up with. Pretty similar kind of a list. Passionate, radical, persistent, fearless, discontent, visionary, self-sacrificing, confident, and all for the cause, even life itself. And so I began to ask myself this question that if Jesus was a revolutionary and if he brought with him a revolution of love, then surely if we were to be that in the world around us, then we needed to follow his example. This is one of my all-time favourite passages of Scripture uh, that talks with Jesus Spending more time with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners than than the religious people. We often talk about um, tax collectors being really hated, corrupt government officials. I think they were as liked as the telemarketers that ring right on six thirty, and the, particularly the ones that just won't get off even when you say sorry, I'm not interested, and you're trying to be polite, and they push your buttons, they want to keep going. I think they were a little bit. I think they were liked about as much as that. <coughs> And so from Matthew chapter 9, as Jesus went on there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, this is the clangor. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus actively sought out people that were perhaps less than popular in the society at the time. He was quite happy to hang out with prostitutes, tax collectors, and all sorts of people of disrepute. He met people where they were at, without judgment, and always with a heart of reconciliation. There's a couple of stories listed there where Jesus' heart emerged. He had every opportunity to make judgments. He could have come at them and said, you know what, I know what you've been doing, and not once did he ever do that. He came with a heart of grace, with a heart of love, to embrace people, and always with a heart to see them reconciled to the Father. Time and time again in Scripture, you see this phrase, and he was moved with compassion. He had such a heart for people. The first one told and he fed the people, and so the people had been with him for hours, and he knew that they needed food, and he had compassion on them. And so we have the feeding of the 5,000. He healed people. He healed people of leprosy, blindness, deafness, all sorts of things. A lot of you would know many of the stories. He raised the widow's son from death. I love that particular story that we've um, I forget who it was, who shared on that in recent times, but for the widow, if she had lost her son, there was so much that that meant socially in terms of being isolated, not having income, not having protection. So it was a really big um, miracle of compassion that Jesus had, knowing what it meant for the widow to lose her son. And he touched the unclean. I'm a bit of a touchy-feely person. I'm a bit of a hugger. And I love this. Because in the Jewish law, if you had leprosy, for example, you were unclean, which meant that nobody could touch you. You had to walk through the town crying, unclean, unclean. The woman with the issue of blood, a number of others throughout um, the New Testament that were described as being unclean. But Jesus came in. And he touched them. And according to the law, that should have made him unclean. But what happened was he t- turned it on its head and he made them clean. And I love that. He gave of himself when he didn't feel like it. Tan shared on this beautifully earlier this year, and I was, it was one of those moments where I went, oh, my goodness, a light bulb came on. Um, when Jesus had found out that John the Baptist had been beheaded, and it says, and he went to retreat, Needed some time to process what was going on. His cousin had just been beheaded. And it says, and then he saw the crowd and he had compassion and he came back. And rather than going off and trying to deal with his own grief and feelings and thoughts and whatever else may have been happening within him as a man, he actually turned and came back to the people. <coughs> he gave up his life. No greater love as a man, than to lay down his life for his friends. Incredible and extraordinary extent of his love. That he would put himself before us. That he would take the punishment that we deserved. That he would even step out of heaven in the first place, blows my mind, to come to earth. But then that he would face such a horrific, gruesome death so that I don't have to. So that none of us have to. Finally, and perhaps one of the most challenging ones, certainly for me, is that he loved without strings. And by that I mean that he just gave freely. I don't know if you know the story of Jesus healing the 10 lepers. I find it a fascinating one because he healed 10 lepers, but only one came back to say thank you. And it says that all 10 were healed, all 10 were cleansed, but one came back to say thank you. So it wasn't a question of what he could get back. It wasn't a question of getting a thanks or a, even a praise be to God. It wasn't like that because only one did it. And I think that one's very true for a lot of us. So many times when you love on people, uh, we don't even realise it sometimes that, that there are strings attached. But in Jesus' perfect love, there was no strings. I've learned in my own life that even the word thanks has become a string sometimes. And that's a really tough one, when you do something for someone, even if it's just because God says so. I had it happen to me a couple of weeks ago. I really felt like God had asked me to do something for someone. Um, and so I did it. And I didn't get a thank you, and I was like, oh, that's not fair. And then God really convicted me. He's like, did I tell you to do it or not? And I went, yep, you did. because then that's enough. And ultimately, salvation for those who choose it because it's still up to us whether we choose it or not. There's no requirement on his part. He gave himself freely for us to choose. So if that's the example, then I wonder what it looks like for us to love people like that. I wonder what it would look like for an army that went out into our community I love the people around us like that. Jesus started this revolution 2,000 years ago. And it's still going. But I feel even more that there's actually a revolution that's starting here, that's starting in our own community, that's starting in this church, if we're going to be the people that God has called us to be, if we're going to be a revolution of love, both to one another in the church, but also to our neighbours, to the people that God has brought around us. And that, might, that looks different for everybody. Sometimes it's about going, and sometimes it's about staying where you are, but with a fresh perspective. I remember when I left Bible college and um, went back to my work as an accountant, which, generally speaking, you know, it's fairly dry and boring. But I went back with a new perspective, that God had me in that place, that there was people that he would bring across my path that nobody else could reach because they weren't in that space. And so sometimes it's just about recognising where God has led us to um, with a fresh perspective of the people around us and God's heart for those people around us. We're really blessed in this house. We have so many people that are doing stuff um, and some really, really good stuff. So I've actually asked Laura and Kate this morning because we're having a story morning. There's lots of stories this morning if they would come and share a little bit about what God has been doing in their life. Who wants to go first? Come on. Rock, paper, scissors for it.
1: Good morning. I don't have anything truly amazing to share, but it is just my journey, and I guess that's um, yeah, something meaningful amazing. for me. So... In my life, personally, I have moved states a lot in my 30-something years of life. We've lived in five different states of Australia. I know what it's like to have to start all over again and again and again and make new friends and to be in totally unfamiliar circumstances. One thing I will never, ever know, though, even though I've moved so much, is what it's like to have to flee from where I've lived and to find refuge somewhere else and never to be able to return home. I've never lived in that scenario and I'm very thankful for that. But when we moved to Victoria three and a half years ago, my husband and I for our fifth state, <laughs> um, I met something here that I've never seen anywhere else I've lived and now we've lived in Noosa, the entrance New South Wales, if anyone knows those places, they are white. (laughs) They are tourist destinations. It's a beachside. We've lived in Western Australia. So it's, I've never experienced anything like what I saw when I came to Victoria and I did not know how to process that in my heart, in my mind, in my eyes, anything. And as we used to love to travel on the train, we still do with the kids, through Dandenong you just look look around you. That is that shocked me when I first came to Victoria. For people who have grown up here, you probably possibly never considered it. But um, for me, I think God used one of those train trips to open my eyes and go, "What would it be like to have to run away or flee from where you are living and have to resettle somewhere on the other side of the world?" And a huge majority of people dwelling in in Victoria, thousands of people have um, experienced that situation, and in our first year here, I looked around and went, "I've got to, I've got to do something. I can't just sit in my own little house and bring up my children and have all these people here who have had an experience that I'll never, I'll never be able to relate to." But I felt moved, and as we would go to something like the Dandenong Markets, I just my heart broke for what perhaps they'd left behind and for what perhaps they were going through. But, they, but you look around, everyone holds up a brave face, don't you? You don't wear your heart on your sleeve. But possibly thousands of people walking around Dandenong would be crying inside. And I felt, I felt that every time I went there, or, or to places around Victoria where there are high asylum seeker settlements. Um, and God just said, just do something, just a start, something. Someone else shared that this morning, just Something. So enrolled in a course to learn how to visit an asylum seeker or a refugee, sort of those terms can be interchanged but we won't go into that, um, and go to their home and help them learn how to use a Mikey and take them around and show them different things and talk to them. How are they going? How are they feeling? So I did a four-day course and learned how to do that and then I was given a client and all of a sudden, just, you know, an hour or two of my week... I went, and I, my heart and my eyes began to be open even more. It was just a really tiny, simple step. I'm a mum of three boys, so I don't have huge amounts of time, but it was just a little piece of my week that I absolutely loved and still love doing, um, and it was through Wise, and I'm currently linked in with Ames, and I've done another five-week course to just to learn how to sit with another woman or little group of people and just do a conversational English with them and help them settle in that way because I currently meet with a woman who doesn't have enough English to talk to her child's school teacher. So, just to give them confidence in that. The girl I, um, I met with initially had to flee from Pakistan. Her family are in hiding and I won't go into the circumstances, but basically... Um, yeah, they, a couple of her family hadn't survived that hiding, and so she'd got out. She was the only family member that actually got asylum here mm. from Pakistan, flew in on a plane. So I'm not going to start, you know, those sort of debates, but um, just a beautiful young woman. We were the same age, in a, both in a new city in Victoria. She had fled and I had chosen to move here, and I just felt like both as 30-year-olds. Um, yeah, and I journeyed with her um, for some time, And I think over, it's not very much, it's not, it's it's really nothing what I'm doing, it's a few hours a week, but I just feel like the little piece of what God's asked me to do in the here and the now, and I'm being obedient to that, I don't know what's next, it doesn't really matter, but um, I'm just enjoying being able to welcome and help, just one, one or two others around me, Um, yeah.
0: the lovely Kate.
2: Good morning. Just got some notes just in case I have a mental blank. (laughs) Um, My journey probably goes back a fair way when I think about it. Um, Probably about eight or nine years ago where um, for us as a family God really spoke to us very clearly about stepping out of the boat, stepping out of our comfort zones and at that time we really didn't know what that was going to look like and it was literally a case of similar to what's been shared today, um, of of literally just following Jesus in wherever he led. So he's taken us on a journey um, over those years and really been teaching us, teaching me in particular, about what it is to follow him. We say those words very easily sometimes, I think, but we forget what they really do mean and the whole thing of laying down self and following Jesus. So 12 months ago... Um, the Lord really began working on my heart in a new way, and began to really break my heart for a particular group of people. And you may remember or not um, a lady called Nikki Cap who came to Catalyst about twelve, probably a bit over twelve months ago now, and shared about a, a ministry in the brothels. I wasn't actually here; we were part of the team at Cornerstone. So I remember just reading in the update uh, following that that Sunday morning about Nikki Cap having shared about the brothel ministry, and something in me just really stirred, and I know it was the Lord, um, really just prompted me to to look into this. And there was a link, so I got onto the link. I listened to the podcast, and my heart just started to break, and and. Um, for me it's been a a bit of a journey the past 12 months and as I was thinking about what to share this morning, I really felt the Lord just say to me, Kate, just be really honest because the last 12 months for me have not been a necessarily easy journey and not necessarily just a case of following God's call. I've had to work through some things and in particular work through, well, God's been showing me some judgmentalism in my heart. So... For me, it's been a process of really letting Jesus break my heart for these women who he's called me to and and give me his love for them. Every one of these women is precious. I'm no different. I just happen to know Jesus and as a a child was blessed to be able to be brought up in in a Christian home to know the love of Jesus. So... I'm no different to these women, only that I know Jesus and I can walk in his freedom. And each one of these women has a story, just like I have a story. So as I've been walking the journey step by step, um, initially it was definitely feeling drawn and called to this ministry. It's called the Cupcake Ministry, which is uh, run by the Salvation Army, and as teens, they go into brothels, take a plate of cupcakes to the women and, and bless them with the cupcakes but use it as an opportunity to just sit with these women and talk with them and build relationship with them. Um, maybe connect them into some services if they're needing help in different areas. For some, it may mean wanting to actually exit the industry so we can kind of connect them in to help them do that as well. For me, it was overcoming a lot of fear as well, actually going into these places that, for me, I've always avoided. I was quite happy to be comfortable, as has been shared this morning. I I love the Lord, And, and it's been very easy for me to serve in the church, but the Lord's been teaching me about actually stepping out and going to the places that aren't comfortable because that's exactly what Jesus did. He went to the places and the people that aren't comfortable to be with, but he loves them. They are no different to us. So that for me has been a journey of just taking it step by step and, Lord, are you sure? Am I really the right one to be doing this? And he keeps saying to me, Kate, yes, I've called you. For me, um, my big confirmation has always been through the word. I'm very much a person who... Yes, the Holy Spirit works in my heart to draw me and call me, but I always have to keep coming back to, Lord, give me something from your word, something that I can keep holding on to and coming back to. So he's given me a number of promises through the past 12 months that I can keep holding on to and knowing, yes, this is what he's calling me into. And one of those was from John 20, verse 21, and Jesus was talking to his disciples after his resurrection and he said peace be with you as the father has sent me i am sending you so peace has been a constant a constant word to him uh, to me from him and of just simply being willing to follow him and walk with him in obedience and the times where i've begun to get fearful along the way and question whether i'm in the right place and doing what he wants me to do He just keeps reassuring me and I still vividly remember driving along the freeway. It was about, oh, probably about three months ago. We hadn't begun our visitations at this point. We were still as a team meeting together and praying and really seeking the Lord as to how it was all going to take shape and how it was all going to look. And I remember just thinking, Lordy, really, am I really the right person for this? And I was driving along behind a truck, a tip truck. And all of a sudden, dirt kept flying out and instinctively, like I'm driving in the car, flinching (laughs) at this dirt that was flying onto the windscreen. And in that moment, the Lord just said to me, Kate, I am your windscreen. I'm your windshield. You don't need to be afraid or fearful, particularly going into these places, because I'm your protector. I'm your shield. So there was things like that that the Lord really was just constantly reminding me that yes. He's in this. He's with me. And so we had our first visitation about two weeks ago, um, which was a bit nervous <laughs> leading up to. But as we met for prayer as a team before we headed in, and from that moment on, right through the night, for the two, three hours that we were out visiting uh, different brothels, I experienced an amazing peace, not surprisingly. But, yes, it was... The Lord was just very much, very close, and and I, through that time, had also prayed, Lord, just confirm if this is (laughs) again. He's been very patient with me and very, very gracious. Again, as I sat in one of those brothels, the first one that I went into, and had an opportunity to talk with a with a beautiful woman, um, in that moment, God again just showed me this. This is why you're here, Kate. So, yeah. That's That's been my journey of just being willing to follow Jesus, which is what he calls each and every one of us to do, to follow him. We do have an um, afternoon tea coming up in October. Late October, it'll probably be. We haven't settled the date yet, but we will um, obviously advertise that for anybody who might be interested in learning more about the ministry. Um It is a team ministry and there's different facets involved in the ministry. It's not just physically going into the brothels. It can be cupcake baking. It can be praying, which is such a a big, big part of this ministry. Um, So, yeah, we will be having that afternoon tea just to explain and promote a little bit and share if you're interested. Thanks so much, Kate.
0: I um, love your vulnerability and your realness. That's very, very cool. You guys are probably well aware that there's already a number of things that we're involved in as a community. The danger with a list like this is I've probably forgotten somebody. So I apologise in advance. I will tell you that Joel and Andrew were on my mind somewhere about 3am this morning when I realised Boys Brigade wasn't on there. So please, (laughs) I have tried to cover off as many people as I possibly could. I'm so grateful to be a part of a community that is active. We are involved in a lot of stuff. There's no two ways about that. But I can't help but think that God is actually calling us to even more in terms of being involved in our local community. And I think he's starting to give some people some dreams and some ideas about what that might look like. I know for me one of the things that I've been praying about is taking a team to the psychic fair next year, for example. I think it would be a pretty cool place to take a team of prophetic people um, and some prayers and to see what God will do with that. So I, I wanted to get... Um, Kate and to get Laura to share their stories. And as it turns out, we've had lots of amazing stories this morning about what it looks like when God starts to give you a dream for something, when he starts to birth a passion for a group of people, or maybe it's a person, maybe it's just a family. As I shared with you earlier, for me, it was a a family with a single mum that just needed some extra TLC. So I wonder what it is this morning that God is actually birthing in you, or what dream he's actually giving you. Just to wrap up talking about what it looks like to be a revolution of love. This was my conclusion. The revolution is about creating a new norm. In our case, I believe it's about revolting against what society says, that it's all about me. It's all about what I can get and looking after number one. Instead, we're saying we want to experience God's kingdom on earth. We want the love of Jesus to become the norm. It's about giving. It's about loving unconditionally. It's about loving those who have nothing to give us in return, like prostitutes, refugees, neglected and abused children. It's about loving like Jesus did. And so, my question to you this morning is what is God saying to you? Who's He been speaking to you about? And my second question is do you feel like a revolutionary? When we talked about that character list earlier and we talked about passion and we talked about um, longevity and persistence, is that stuff that you feel like you've got? Or maybe you've been doing what you've been doing for a while now and the tank's running a little bit low. And so I know it's late, but I'd really like this morning if we can um, spend some time praying for people in that area. And they don't know it yet, but I'm actually going to call on on the YWAM guys to do that because I think they have this stuff in spades. Great, love it. Nathan's just confirmed it for me. So that's my question this morning, is what's God really saying to you? And what are we going to do about it as a church, as a body of people that love Jesus? Will we take that love? Will we be a revolution of love in our church and in our community? you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for today. Father, I thank you that you had today planned long before our minds conceived it. Father, I thank you that um, for all the testimonies that have been shared, Father, about your goodness, about your leading, about your love, about your faithfulness, and about your provision. Father, about um, stepping out of the boat and how faithful you are to catch us. And so, Lord, I would just pray this morning, Father, for each person here, Lord, that you would release to them, Father. Lord, a a new dream, a new heart, Father, that you would pour your love out on us this morning, Father, and that you would give us a love for a person, for a people, for a community. Lord, wherever it is that you've called us to, Father, I ask that you would make it clear to us and that, Father, you would give us a sense of your heart for those people. And then, Lord, I'd ask that you would give us the boldness and the courage and the passion to obey. Father, that we would be people that not only hear your voice, Lord, but that we follow through and that we do what you're asking us to do. Lord, I pray for an increased revelation of your love this morning, Father. Lord, we've talked so much about it. Father, that as we go, that we would have that experience of your love in overflow, Father, so that we can share it with the people around us, Lord. That we would be a revolution of love. That we would be radical that we would be passionate, that we would be committed. So, Father, I thank you for what you're doing in our midst. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.